Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Thursday, March the 24th, 2022. It is currently 5.14 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from Abilene, Texas. Now, I'm going to talk about a very important subject today. And I hope that you will give me your full attention and listen to everything I have to say, because if only certain parts of what I'm going to say is taken out of context, people may draw very wrong conclusions. But I think that this is a subject that everyone who professes to be a Christian needs to stop and think about. Anyone who goes to church, anyone who's been around Christianity for any length of time, I think you're going to have some very strong feelings about this subject. I think some of you are going to to definitely want to share your thoughts and opinions. If you're listening live, feel free to use the Spreaker app and offer your thoughts and opinion in the live chat. If you're not listening to me live, feel free to email me, newsif at yahoo.com, or if you're on YouTube, you can use the comment section to offer your thoughts and opinions, because I think many of you are going to have some very strong opinions that may be different than mine, but um, that's perfectly okay, because I'm very interested to get everyone's perspective on this very important subject. So are you ready? I want you to put your thinking caps on. Here we go. Do you believe And I want you to be honest with yourself. Maybe you've never even given this any thought, but do you believe that someone's godliness, someone's practical holiness, someone's passion and zeal for God can literally become sinfulness? Do you believe someone's pursuit of righteousness, someone's pursuit of holiness can literally become sinfulness. Do you believe someone who has never fallen into any quote-unquote major sin, they've never been involved in any scandal, they don't get drunk, they don't, they're not involved in any kind of pornography, no sexual sin, they are just a, a model of, of Christian righteousness. They're the ones everyone looks up to. Do you believe that person, that all of that righteousness, that all of that holiness, that all of that avoidance of sin, can that itself become sinfulness? Now, you may, when I'm asking the question, you go, you may think, okay, well, I think I know which direction he wants me to go. And you may give me the answer, but I'm just saying, honestly, deep inside of you, have you ever given it much thought? Have you ever thought, now this is very important, have you ever looked at your own Christian life and looked and said, I, you know, I, I have a lot of passion and zeal for God. I'm reading my Bible. I'm studying. I'm praying. I'm going to church. I'm witnessing to people. I'm serving people. I'm avoiding any major sin. And, and have you ever, when you're looking at yourself and you're, you're like, you're feeling, in a sense, you're feeling very good about your spiritual condition. You think everything is going well. Have you ever stopped and go, wait, 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 wait. Could all of these good things actually become sinfulness? I don't know if we've ever given it much thought. I think when everything is going great and we're we're loving God with a passion for God, a zeal for God, we tend to see that as, well, then everything is okay. But could it be that that very thing becomes your 
greatest sin? Is it possible that your greatest spiritual victory becomes your greatest spiritual failure? Now, you may have heard plenty of sermons about this. Maybe you haven't. I'll be very interested to hear everyone's perspective. But let's consider something. We all know that the Bible tells us in 1 Peter chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15. We read these words. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15. But as he which hath called you is holy... So be ye holy in all manner of conversation or in all manner of life. So we are called to pursue holiness in all manner of life. Because it is written, be ye holy for I am holy. We are called to be holy as God is holy. So I, and I am in no way, shape, or form saying don't pursue righteousness. I am in no way, shape, or form saying don't pursue holiness. I'm saying that sometimes as we are seeking to live a holy life, and even when we start living out a very godly life from a human perspective, it's righteous, it's holy. There, no one you know, can point a finger and say, oh, look at that major failure there. Everything seems to be going great. Is it possible? But that actually could be that when everything seems to be going well, that actually you could be living in a state of great spiritual failure and sin, and you can't see the spiritual failure. You can't see the sin because all you see is the supposed righteousness and godliness of your own life. Let's consider possibly where I'm going with this. Go to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, verse 1. And he spake a parable unto them to this end. Uh, let's see. Uh, wait, uh, we don't want that passage right there. Hang on. Okay. Uh, uh, Luke 18, verse 9. Okay, I'm sorry. I was going to start in verse 1 and just read all the way down, but that's a completely, that, that was going to add too much to it. All right, so I apologize. Luke chapter 18, verse 9. Or let's go, yeah, we'll go to verse 9 for context. And he spake this parable. See, in verse 18, verse 1, he speaks a parable. So actually, you have two parables. So the first parable will just take us in a different direction. So let's just stick with the second parable. Luke 18, 9. And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Now, this begins to give us a little bit of a hint of where I am going. Sometimes, when we are living out a very godly lifestyle, a very righteous lifestyle, we're pursuing holiness, we have a passion for God, a zeal for God, we're serving, we're witnessing. Sometimes when that is true in our life, what has a tendency to happen, maybe without us even noticing it, is we begin to trust and ourselves that we're righteous. We begin to trust in that practical righteousness. We begin to trust in it. We begin to like it. We begin to, it just becomes, it becomes our identity. I am righteous. I'm living out a godly life. And when this happens, when your sin, when your righteousness becomes your sinfulness, one of the ways you know is your righteousness leads to a 
state where you begin to despise other people. You're righteous, you're godly, and you begin to despise everyone else. When you feel those feelings of despising everyone else, looking down on everyone else, condemning everyone else, Everyone else, you're pointing the finger, pointing the finger, pointing the finger, pointing the finger. That may be a sign that your righteousness has now become your sinfulness, that your great righteousness, your great spiritual victory has become your great spiritual failure. But no one's going to call you out on it. No one's really going to point the finger at you because they're going to be like, well, I mean, that person, I mean, they're godly here. They go to church. They pray. They read their Bible. They love God. They have a passion. They study more than I study. They read more than I study. They listen to more sermons than I listen to. They go to church more faithfully than I do. They give. I mean, look at them. Who am I to say anything? So here's this person who, in one sense, appears to be godly, but they're really in a great state of sin, and no one really can call them out for it. But what you begin to see in these people is they begin to despise other people. They become arrogant. They look down on other people. They condemn. They don't become necessary vessels of mercy and grace, but vessels of condemnation and judgment. It can become a very ugly thing. Let's look at what happens here. Luke chapter 18. Let's start in verse 9. So he speaks a parable and he's speaking this parable unto certain people who are trusting in themselves that they were righteous and they despise others. And you know the story. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I'm not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. Now he begins to list all of his righteous acts. He begins to list all of these godly things that he is doing. And no one can deny those righteous acts. No one can deny those godly things. They are doing it. But you see what's happened? The godliness, the righteousness is becoming sinfulness because he sees it and then looks down and despise other people. Did you did you catch that little thing? I'm not as other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I'm not like that. Now, sometimes people who have who have really entered into this world of spiritual pride, where their godliness has become their sinfulness. I want, to, I want to make sure you understand this. Many of them know the right words to say. They're like, oh, I'm a sinner. They'll say the right words. I'm a sinner. But in their heart, they're saying these words. This person in the parable are saying the words. There are some people who know not to say this. They know not to speak it, but it's in their heart and it manifests itself. Because even if they may not say, oh, I am godly, they will point their finger at everyone else and condemn and condemn and attack and attack and gossip and slander and they want to cause controversy and they want they want they because they feel that they're morally superior to everyone else even though they will tell you they're not morally superior their moral superiority comes out in their actions their godliness becomes their sinfulness 
Their righteousness becomes their unrighteousness. Look at the contrast here. Now, now please note, this person, he's not an extortioner. He's not unjust. He's not an adulterer. Those are all good things. It's good that he's not doing those things. But the fact that he's not doing those things, even though it's great, even though it's godly, what I want you to see is that godliness becomes the sinfulness, which is just crazy to even comprehend or think about, but it is a real possibility. And in contrast to this person, look at the other person. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote his own breast, saying, God, be merciful unto me, a sinner. The other one is so aware of their own righteousness and their own godliness, right? They are, they are so aware of that, that all they can see in everyone else is their failure and their sin. And they believe that these people need to be justly condemned. The other person is so aware of their own sin, they're not even worried about anybody else. They are worried about a God who hopefully would have mercy on them. See, you're either so aware of your righteousness, your godliness, your spiritual growth, that becomes what you're truly aware of. That's what you're aware of, that then when that your focus really becomes then on everyone else's lack thereof of the godliness which you have achieved in your life or or the godliness which you possess in your own life. You, you become so aware of everyone else's failure. Look at them, look at them, look at them. And not only do you become aware, you seem greatly interested in finding out everyone else's failure and telling everyone else about it, or you feel like you have to hop on social media to give an opinion on everyone else's failure. You, you'll see this if a, if a story comes out about anyone's moral failure within Christianity, you'll have all the Christians jumping on those comments. Well, boom, 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 condemn, 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 condemn. And it always comes across like they're morally superior. They're better. Now you're right. Maybe they're not the adulterer. Maybe they, maybe they are not the extortioner. Maybe they don't covet. Maybe, maybe they're all wonderful. But sometimes even in your how great you are, that literally can become your sinfulness because you seem to be more aware of everyone else's failure. You're aware of your righteousness, which leads you to a a sensitivity to everyone else's failure versus being so aware and your sinfulness. Do you want to become, are you, in other words, do you want your awareness of your godliness to make you sensitive to everyone else's sin? Or do you want an awareness of your own sinfulness that it makes you more aware of God's holiness. Let, let me read it to you again. Luke 18, 9. And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised other people. How do you view other people? Honestly, how do you view other people who sin? Now, I know what some are going to argue. Immediately, people. So you're saying we should just be soft on sin and we should just excuse everyone's sin? No, no. We need to stand for righteousness. We need to stand for godliness. And there's too much worldliness in Christianity. And we need to expose people. We need to call people out. Okay. I am no way, shape, or form trying to excuse anyone's sin. What I'm saying is when your approach is you begin to despise people, 
It's like you don't – it's not like – in some people's mind, it, it doesn't appear that there's ever grace, there's ever mercy, there's ever forgiveness, there's never really restoration. It's just condemn, judge, and dispose. Like you can you can be upset about someone's sin and confront and, and point it out, but then you should hope to show mercy, grace, and restoration. Some people want to expose, condemn, judge, and then throw people in the trash. It's one thing to say, hey, okay, that's wrong. That behavior is not acceptable, all right? Now, that needs to be condemned. Hey, repent. Turn from that. Please confess it. Apologize for it. And then let's let's work to get you back to where you need to be. See, that's a different approach. I'm not saying just say, well, everyone's everyone can do what they want. I'm not saying that. And I know people are going to misinterpret this. Because whenever you start talking in a sense about a, a more gracious I think a more gracious, loving, merciful attitude, people will immediately accuse that of being liberal or easy believism, or they'll just start accusing it of all kinds of negative, uh, uh, you know, connotations. No, it's about trying to have a biblical point of view here. Do you despise other people? And I think when you begin to despise other people, what you demonstrate is that your righteousness has become your sinfulness, and now you are in the throes of spiritual arrogancy and pride. I think this is something we need to think about. And to help us think about it, I have an article here called Undiscerned Spiritual Pride. Undiscerned Spiritual Pride. Now, I want you to hear those words, undiscerned spiritual pride, because that scares me to death. Because that indicates that in many cases, the people who become spiritually proud and arrogant They actually may begin to despise other people. They're the ones in a sense, maybe not with their mouth, but in their heart. I think, God, I'm not like all these other people. Look, I'm not an adulterer. I'm not covetous. I don't do any of these things, right? I don't do any of these things, so I don't know why anybody else would, right? Uh, When uh, Sometimes those people are the ones who cannot discern that their righteousness has become unrighteousness, that their godliness has become sinfulness. And that's scary that we can reach a point where really, in one way, we look like we're being spiritually victorious and that we're achieving great spiritual growth, but yet actually we're not. That's a very scary thought. That some, at the point in your Christian life where you may feel the most victorious, that things are going great, that you've grown spiritually, everything is wonderful, may actually be the place where you're actually ungodly, and unrighteous, and you don't even realize it. And I'm speaking of a practical righteousness here. I'm not speaking of an imputed righteousness, okay? So that everyone understands. Let's see what's said in this article. The first and worst cause of errors that abound in our day and age is spiritual pride is spiritual pride. Now, I don't have the year this was written. The author is Jonathan Edwards, and I believe that's the the Jonathan Edwards. I don't have a year, but I think we can say that in that when it comes to the church, I don't care what era, I don't care what age we are in, one of the worst causes of error, one of the one of the the thing that leads to some of the worst errors in the church 
is spiritual pride. Spiritual pride is the thing that leads to some of the worst errors in the church. Let's continue. This is the main door by which the devil comes into the hearts of those who are zealous for the achievement, for the advancement of Christ. I want you to hear that. Spiritual pride is the main door which Satan comes into the hearts of those who are actually zealous for the advancement of Christ. Here's someone who is zealous. They're passionate. You don't see spiritual apathy. You don't see spiritual complacency. Man, you just see someone on fire for God. And the way Satan will get to that person is spiritual pride. That, that scares me to death. And the reason it scares me to death is because I have experienced it. I have suffered as a result of it. And because I feel that sometimes I see it in the world of Christianity. And again, I think sometimes one of the best places to see it is just look at Christians' response to news articles or to social media and, and it's just, man, condemn, 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 condemn. And it's like for crying out loud. Like, is that all we can do? Do we think we're better than everyone else? Let's see what they have to say. Spiritual pride is the chief inlet of smoke from the bottomless, bottomless pit to darken the mind and mislead the judgment. So, they believe that the, the, the way the smoke of the bottomless pit will darken the mind and mislead people in judgment is through spiritual pride. That once you're spiritually proud, you don't see correctly. You can't make right judgments. You can't make right. You may, you may judge and you may condemn, but there's going to be something wrong with it because it's been infected and you've been corrupted by spiritual pride. Pride is the main handle by which he has hold of Christian persons and the chief source of all the mischief that introduces to clog that that he introduces to clog and hidden a work to hinder a work of God. Spiritual pride is the main spring or at least the main support of all other errors. Until this disease is cured, medicines are applied in vain to heal all other diseases. So this is like, this is it, spiritual pride. You, all, you can apply every kind of medicine you want. You're not going to fix it if there's spiritual pride. It is the disease that has to be rooted out. It is the, it will lead to all the other symptoms that we see. Sometimes all the other symptoms we see are the result of the disease of spiritual pride. Spiritual pride is the disease. Sometimes we run around trying to treat the symptoms, but the real issue is the pride in the heart. The spiritual pride. I want you to know, spiritual pride, spiritual pride, where your godliness, your righteousness, the godliness and righteousness, the spiritual growth, your zeal for God literally becomes the very thing that makes you spiritually proud. So your godliness becomes your sinfulness. Your righteousness becomes your unrighteousness. That, that, that is just so important to consider. 
It is by spiritual pride that the mind defends and justifies itself in other errors and defends itself against light by which it might be corrected and reclaimed. See, when you become spiritually pride, prideful, you can't, you, correction is going to be hard to hear. You're not going to hear the correction. You're going to immediately reject it. Well, you, once you begin to reject correction, then you cannot, well, you, you're, you're, you're going to find yourself in darkness because you're basically rejecting light. The spiritually proud man thinks he is full of light already and feel that he does not need instruction So he is ready to ignore it. He's ready to ignore the offer of it. I don't need light. I've already got all the light. I don't need instruction. I'm the one who gives the instruction. On the other hand, the humble person is like a little child who easily receives instruction. He is cautious in his estimate of himself, sensitive to how liable He is to go astray. If it is suggested to him that he is going astray, he is most ready to check into the matter. Nothing sets a Christian so much out of of the devil. uh, uh, Okay, let me read this again. Nothing sets a Christian so much out of the devil's reach than humility and so prepares the mind for divine light without darkness. Humility clears the eye to look at things as they truly are. Psalm 25, 9, he leads the humble in justice and he teaches the humble his way. If spiritual spiritual pride is healed, other things are easily corrected. Our first care should be to correct the heart and pull the beam of pride out of our own eye. Then we can see clearly. We have to discern, see spiritual pride, and we have to set off to destroy it, to remove it, to do surgery and cut it out of our bodies. And I'm using that metaphorically, obviously. We have to cut it out. We have to rip it out and throw it in the trash. We have to burn it. We have to sacrifice it on the altar. Spiritual pride has to go or your godliness will literally become your sinfulness. When, and I'll just ask you a question. I've talked about this over and over and over again. I talked about this when we, when we, uh, when we did our study on Listen, when we when we reviewed some episodes and talked about the podcast, the rise and fall of Mars Hill. Yeah. Oh, here's the here's all of the controversy about Mark Driscoll. Here's all the controversy about this church that exploded in popularity and influence, and then it came crashing down. It's dramatic. It's sensational. Listen to our next episode next week. It's amazing. Now, by all means, I recommended everyone to listen to the podcast. It's obviously what happened to Mars Hill is a big story. It was public. You're not, you're not, it, it, it can be talked about. 
But I tried to tell you that over and over and over as I listened to it, I became extremely emotional because I was trying my best not to make this a story about Mark Driscoll, not making this a story about Mars Hill where I could sit there and go, well, I thank God I'm not like them. I thank God I never did those things. I thank God I never plagiarized a book. I thank God I never did this. I thank God I never did this to my elders. I thank God I never said that from the pulpit. I, I, I could sit there and go, whoa. That, how could people be so foolish? How could people be so deceived? How could people be so dumb? And, and I saw this happen a lot on, on, on different articles talking about the podcast. People would post, I don't know why people ever saw a Mark Driscoll. I knew from the very beginning that something was wrong. I knew he was messed up from the first time I heard him preach. I knew something was wrong with that church. And they want to brag about how they supposedly knew from the very beginning that it was all bad. And I, it's like, so yeah, so you're going to jump on this to pat yourself on the back. You're going to jump on this to exalt yourself. I knew from the beginning, anytime someone falls, I knew from the beginning something was wrong. When Ravi Zacharias, I knew from the beginning that something was wrong. And it's like, so Christians want to run to the opportunity to tell everyone, I knew, I'm, I, I'm the one who understands. All they're doing is exalting themselves and they can't, and now praise God, they didn't do the things Ravi Zacharias did. See, they're godly. Praise God. They didn't do the things Mark Driscoll did. Praise God. That is awesome that they didn't do those things. But now that godliness has become their sinfulness because now all they're doing is they're, well, condemning and exalting themselves. When, when you, let me ask you this. Are you more bothered and more aware of everyone else's failure than you are of your own? Are you quick to remember everyone else's failure, but not even, but not as quick to see your current? Are you quick to remember everyone else's failure of their past, but you're slow to see your failure in the present? Are you quick to see everyone, remember everyone else's sin of their past, but you are very slow at seeing your present spiritual condition? Are you quick to see everyone else's failure, but not so quick to see the very potential resides within you? It's something we have to consider. Let's continue. We're 30 minutes in. Let's not stop now because we're we're on a roll here. I I I think this is very, very important. All right. I think this is very important. So I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna follow this. I'm gonna follow this because I I, I am convicted by this. And this all started. This all started uh, because someone was sharing their frustration with something that they heard, and that they felt that the person that we were that we had been listening to just exhibited such great spiritual pride. There was a pride. There was a spiritual arrogancy. And I'm like, you know, I think there was some spiritual pride and arrogancy in that. And it started getting me thinking about spiritual pride and arrogancy. And then the minute, minute, then as I started thinking about it, I started thinking about my own history with it. I've told the story a million times. I'll, t- I'll, I'll say it again, just because, because it, it, the best illustrations I can use are the ones I've lived, right? So sometimes you end up repeating the same illustrations and people get tired of them, but it just, it's what I lived. I became, you know, I became a Christian as a teenager. 
I've told the story that I walked out of the church when the night I got saved, they handed me a Bible. I went home and stayed up all night, read the New Testament. I think by within 24 to 48 hours, I had the entire Old Testament read. And then I, I was reading the Bible, reading the Bible, reading the Bible, reading the Bible. I was literally skipping school, going to the church, breaking into the church and sitting there in the church, just reading the Bible and studying the Bible and not going to school. I mean, I'm not saying that that was godly, but I'm just saying I had a passion and a zeal for scripture. And I was listening to sermon, 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 taking notes, taking notes, taking notes. And when I came to church and they handed me, I'll grab a notebook right here. They they handed me the, it's like the quarterly Bible study guide, right? Right? It's like, here you go. Here's what we're going to be studying over the next three months. And I was like, oh, wow. I went home, marked that up. I read every word. I had a circle, highlights. I had notes. I had, I mean, I, I, I tore it apart. And then I got to Sunday school. And I'm like, okay, everybody ready? Everybody ready? Okay. My thought is everyone's, everyone's going to do the same thing. And then I'm like, wait a minute. So nobody read it? Nobody. So the church gave, nobody read it? So immediately I was like, what is wrong with all of you people? What is, nobody cares? Nobody has any passion for God? No one loves God's word? What is wrong with all of you people? And then the teacher began to teach, and it became obvious that I don't think the teacher had even looked at the guide until maybe Saturday night and clearly wasn't prepared, clearly didn't know what they were talking about. And so then I started, well, demonstrating my spiritual arrogance and pride by almost belittling the teacher or, or trying to show the teacher up like, no. That's over in, no, study got, no, that's in this verse. No, that's, no, what? And, and well, I became a spiritual, arrogant, condescending jerk is what I became. Thinking that I was better than everyone else because I kept looking around, what's wrong with the church? Now, I couldn't get young people to come up to the church on Friday night. I wanted every other young people to come to the church on Friday night. We'd sit around Friday night doing maybe Bible study methods, like the chapter summary method. or the dev- I couldn't get anyone to show up. I couldn't get anyone to show up for anything. I'm like, so nobody wants to read the Bible. No one wants to study the Bible. No one cares about the Bible. What is wrong with all these stinking people? Christians are a bunch of stinking hypocrites. I don't love the Bible. I don't love God. I don't love Jesus. I, I don't, I'm, I'm tired of all of them. Now, listen, in one way, it was right to be frustrated with everyone's seemingly lack of zeal and passion and excitement for, for God's word. There, there, there was a little bit of that, that that's okay. And, and, and being able to provide a, a rebuke the right way, it would be okay. It's okay when something is clearly wrong. But I, my, my passion and my zeal, which was good, and it was good that I wasn't apathetic and complacent and being like other people. That was a good thing. But you see how that good thing became my spiritual sin? Because it became arrogant. It became pride. And I looked down on everyone else. And then the next thing you know, I'm finding myself in all kinds of spirit, all kinds of sin. I also and I realized I wasn't as good as I thought I was. I wasn't as godly as I thought I was. And ended up hurting myself. I can think of um, okay, someone is asking, is it there, uh, is, okay, let me just stop really quick. Someone just is having some kinds of issues listening to me, so I don't know if it's on my side or anyone else's side. I don't know. I don't think it's on my side. Everything on my side says we're good to go. So we are, this is a live broadcast. I know we're right in the middle of a powerful uh, uh, illustration here, Okay. If anyone else is having problems or no problems, you can answer in the chat and you can answer that. I'm going to, I'm going to continue on. Okay, good. All right. Uh, and, and we know why Twyla is not having issues because she uses an Apple phone. All right.
right? So, so we know that. And so Twyla is not like other people. She uses an Apple device, which meaning she's godly, and that could mean that becomes her, her sin using this illustration, all right? So, all right, a little bit of joke. Now, back to what I was saying, because this is serious. I can think of later on in my life where, well, you know, I'm doing this and I'm doing that and I'm doing this and I'm doing that. And the next thing you know, it kind of becomes a sense of spiritual pride and a spiritual arrogance. And the next thing you know, boom, I go crashing down on my face and I hurt the name of Christ and I hurt people and I embarrass myself. And it's a horrible, horrible situation. Now, when it was all said and done, one of the things I realized is, yeah, that, that thing I did was bad, but it was really more about spiritual arrogance and pride. And it's easy to be that way. In that particular case, I think it was more about spiritual arrogancy and pride because, well, my theology is right. I got the, I know theology. I know church history. I'm, I'm, I'm working a full-time job. I'm going to school. I, I, I'm like, it, it, was, it, became, it became about a lot of things. And we could go through, I don't want to bore you with all of these illustrations, but the same thing happened. The, the godliness, which was all good things, the godliness became my ungodliness. The righteousness became my unrighteousness. Let's let's press on. Jonathan Edwards writes these words. Growing Christians, beware, exclamation mark. Growing Christians, beware. Those who are most zealous, Those who are most zealous in the cause of God are most likely to be targeted as being filled with pride. I want you to hear that again. If you are zealous for the things of God, you've got a hunger, you've got a passion, you read, you study, you want to talk doctrine, you want to talk theology. I mean, you were trying to live godly. You're like, okay, I'm not going to do this. I'm going to have this standard. I'm not going to do this. Sometimes the ones who are most zealous, I think, and probably 99% of the time, those who are most zealous are most likely to become spiritually proud and arrogant. The most zealous are the ones most likely to become spiritually arrogant and prideful. I want you to hear that again. Those who become, who are most zealous, all right? I'm just, I'm making sure that I have uh, the chat open so that I can see. I'll I'll try to check back on it. It's on my iPad and I'm using the same iPad iPad to read my notes, but okay. All right. So sorry for a couple of those little technical issues, but that's all right. We're going to press on. I want you to hear that again. The person who is most zealous for the cause of God is is most likely to be targeted as being filled with spiritual pride. This is an issue for the one living out a godly life. This is the one who is pursuing righteousness. This is the one who has all of their standards and they don't do this and they don't go there and they don't watch this and and they've got it all down. And you can become just a spiritual, arrogant, condescending jerk. And it's good that you don't do the sinful things. It's wonderful. It's great. When any person appears in any respect to be noticeably excelling others in his Christian walk, odds are 10 to 1 that it will immediately awaken the jealousy of those about him. I want you to hear that. 
when any person appears in any respect to be noticeably excelling others in his Christian walk. So when you're excelling in your Christian walk and other people see it, it at 10 to 1, it's going to immediately awaken the jealousy of those about him. They will suspect whether they have a good reason or not, that he is very proud of his goodness, and he probably thinks no one is as good as he is, so that everything he says and does is observed with prejudice. Now, now this is a different problem, but it's a very relevant problem. Sometimes when you're living out the godly life, then other Christians then will begin almost to see you as the enemy. Like you're trying to live out your godly life and you're trying to do the right thing. Sometimes you'll become the enemy to other believers because like, ah, what's right? He thinks he's better than ever. And they'll just immediately accuse you of these things. And that shows their own pride and their own arrogance and them. But let's see where he, where he returns this back to the person who's excelling in his Christian life. Those who are themselves cold and dead, and especially those who have never had any experience of the power of godliness in their own hearts, will easily entertain such thoughts of the best Christians. This arises from nothing less than a secret hostility against essential and fervent holiness. But the zealous Christian should take heed that he does not prove a snare to him, and the devil take advantage of it to blind his eyes from beholding the true nature of his heart and to think that because he is charged with pride wrongfully and with an unkind spirit that such charges are not sometimes valid. Alas, how much pride, how much pride the best have in their hearts. How much pride resides in the best of of Christians? How much pride resides in you at the peak of your spiritual zeal and godliness? It is the worst part of the body of sin and death. The first sin that have ever entered into the universe and the last that that is rooted out. It is God's most stubborn enemy. Others may, may accuse you of pride and that's their own pride and their own issues. But what will happen when you're zealous for God and someone accuses you of pride, you may immediately resist it and go, what do you mean spiritually proud? Look at, I read my Bible and I do this and I go to church and, and I pray. Clearly I'm godly. Clearly I want to know what God says. And sometimes you can't even see it. Now, sometimes the accusations are false, but you always have to ask yourself, listen, I don't care where you are in your spiritual life. I don't care how great you think you are. There's spiritual pride inside of you because it's a part of our sinful nature. Remember the sinful nature. What, how do I always define sin? Sin is the exaltation of the I. Sin is the exaltation of self. And some people will use their godliness and righteousness as a, in a way to exalt themselves. Listen, Christ does not become their identity. Their godliness becomes their identity. Christ does not become their identity, but their own personal righteousness and holiness becomes their identity. Their identity is them. Their their identity comes from their, their perceived righteousness. It's far different than your identity being Christ himself. All right, we're 42 minutes. Next thing Jonathan Edwards writes, pride, a secret enemy, pride, a secret enemy. So he, he wants, he wants Christians to beware, growing Christians to beware because the most zealous are the ones most likely to end up being spiritually proud. 
The ones who are most godly are the ones most likely to be spiritually proud. Pride is a secret enemy. Now, he wants us to understand this. Pride is much more difficult to be discerned than any other corruption because of its very nature. That is, pride is a person having too high of an opinion of himself. Is it any surprise then that a person who has a high opinion, a too high opinion of himself is unaware of it? Pride impacts the way you view yourself. So you're not going to be aware of what's wrong with you because you already have a too a high opinion of yourself. His thinking is that he thinks that the opinion he has of himself is just grounds and therefore is not too high. If the grounds of the opinion of himself crumbled, he would cease to have such an opinion. But because of the nature of spiritual pride, it is the most secret of all sins. There is no other matter in which the heart is more deceitful and unsearchable, and there is no other sin in the world that men are so confident in. The very nature of it the very nature of it is to work self-confidence and drive away any suspicion of any evil of that kind. There is no such sin like the devil as this for secrecy and subtlety and appearing and appearing in great many shapes that are undetected and unsuspected. Spiritual pride takes many forms and shapes, one under another, and encompasses the heart like the layers of an onion. When you pull off one, there is another underneath. Therefore, we have need to have the greatest watch imaginable over our hearts with respect to this matter and to cry most earnestly to the great searcher of the hearts for his help. He that trusteth his own heart is a fool. Since spiritual pride and its own nature is so secret, it cannot be so well discerned by immediate uh, intuition on the things itself. It is best identified by the fruits and effects, some of which I will, I will mention below together with the contrary fruits of Christian humility. So it's, a, it's the most secret sin and the one most difficult to see, the most difficult to discern, the most difficult to suspect. You're not going to see it. You're not even going to realize it. You're not even going to recognize it. But I think, I think others will see it. I think others will detect it. I think others will hear it. Now, yes, I want to say it again. Those who are not living a godly life and don't have a passion for God and a zeal for God, their go-to thing is to basically call anyone who's trying to live out a godly life and who is speaking the truth will immediately refer to them as being spiritually prideful. So people will throw out the false accusation, but you can't let false accusation stop you from being honest with and looking inside of you to see if it's there. Because it could be there and you may be the, you will be the last person to see it. You will be the last person to recognize it. Next paragraph, we're at 46 minutes. Pride, the great fault finder. Spiritual pride causes one to speak of other person's sins, their enmity against God and his people, or with laughter and levity, an air of contempt, 
while pure Christian humility disposes either to be silent about them or to speak of them with grief or pity. Let me explain this. Spiritual pride will cause you to speak of other person's sins. Spiritual pride leads you to constantly be talking about everyone else's failure, talking about everyone else's sin. It will lead you to be preoccupied with other people's failure and other people's sin. Because spiritual pride is not going to be concerned with your own sin because you have too high an opinion of yourself. You don't see yourself as you truly are. You don't see yourself as you truly are. You, you don't see it because you're spiritually pride. So because you can't see your sin, you become super sensitive to everyone else's sin. And you constantly want to point it out. And you constantly want to talk about it. And you constantly want to condemn. And you constantly want to point it out. You're quick to know everyone else's failure in your church. You're quick to know everyone else's failure in Christianity. Listen, or if you're not one constantly speaking about everyone else's sin, or you will have laughter, levity, or an air of contempt for those who sin. You're almost like... (laughs) I, I knew that guy was a loser anyway. I, I knew he was an idiot. I, you're going to almost laugh about it. You're almost going to joke about it. You, you're going to have, or you're going to have contempt for the person. That person is a, is garbage. That person's a hypocrite. That person's a sinner. You're going to either have contempt, levity, or laughter. Because your spiritual pride is not going to give you the ability to look at it correctly. The, 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 a spiritually humble person will not be constantly finding fault with everyone else. And guess what? When they do have to speak of other people's sin, they should do so with grief or pity. They should be not wanting to do it. They should grieve about it. They should have pity for the person. Not just pity. They should want to, what can they do to help the person? What can they do to pick the person back up? What can they do to restore the person? Many don't even care about restoration. It's like you go from you go from sinner to the trash heap. That, that's how many will approach it. The spiritually proud person shows it in his finding fault with other saints, that they are low in grace and cold and dead they are, and are quick to discern and take notice of their deficiencies. The enmity the, the eminently humble Christian has so much to do at home and sees so much evil in his own that he's not apt to be very busy with everyone else's heart. The spiritually proud person, let me say it again, uh, is, uh, is, is, okay, the spiritually proud person shows it. He shows it in finding fault with other saints, that, that they are low in grace, that they are cold and dead. He's quick to discern and take notice of everyone else's deficiencies. The spiritually proud person is quick to see everyone else's failure, everyone else's deficiencies, because they cannot see their own. Even though they may, they may theoretically, like if you were to challenge them theologically, they're like, I'm a sinner. They, they, they would know that theoretically, but they don't really see or feel the weight of their own sin. They see everybody else's and they have an opinion. They're going to express it and they're going to express it either with great condemnation, no mercy, no grace, or they're going to do so with almost a laughter and a, and a contempt for the person. But the, but the humble person, 
sees so much evil in his own that he's too apt and busy. He, he's, he's, he's so busy with his own that he's not apt and busy with everyone else's heart. He's not trying to figure out, he's not condemning everyone else's heart because he sees his self. If you're so, if you're more preoccupied with your own sin, you're going to be, it's going to, well, you're not going to be as aware of everyone else's sin. This, the, the, um, the, uh, the spiritually humble person complains most of himself and complains most of his own coldness and lowness and grace. He is apt to esteem others as better than himself and is ready to hope that most everybody has more love and thankfulness to God than he, and he cannot bear to think that others should bring forth no more fruit to God, God's honor than he. The spiritually humble person is, is just, he, 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 he's, his complaint is about him. His issue is with himself, 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 himself. And he, 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 he constantly thinks of others better than himself. Some who have spiritual pride mixed with great learning and joy, earnestly speaking to others about them are likely to be calling upon other Christians to emulate them and sharply reprove them for their being so cold and lifeless. There are others who are overwhelmed with their own vileness when they are when they have extraordinary discoveries of God's glory they are taken up by their own sinfulness though they are disposed to speak much and very earnestly yet it is very much in blaming themselves and exalt and exhorting fellow Christians but in a loving and humble manner pure christian humility causes a person to take notice of everything that is good in others and to make the best of it and to diminish their failings However, he turns his eye chiefly on the things that are bad in himself and takes much notice of everything that aggravates them. I want you to know, Christian humility causes a person to take notice of everything good in others and to make the best of it and to diminish their failings. Now, there's more I could say here. I will post this entire article here. I'll post a link to it in the Discord channel so that you can read all of it for your own meditation and your own, uh, your own, uh, your, for your own medit- meditation and for your own edification because I think it's well worth your time. I, I don't know what else I can say at this point. This is a serious issue. And always remember, there's balance here. Again, I don't want anyone to think I'm saying, hey, just let everyone live in sin. We never condemn anything. We never call anything out. That's not what we're saying. I'm saying that there has to be a spiritual humility, not a spiritual pride, not spiritual arrogancy. Because we have to be careful because we never want to allow our godliness. We never want our godliness to become sinfulness. We never want it to to be that. We don't want it to happen. Yes, we want to pursue godliness, but that godliness must be mixed with humility. That godliness must be mixed. Here's very, I cannot stress this enough. Your, here's a couple of things. True godliness, true godliness. Now I want to hear, I want to make sure I state this. True godliness, true holiness, not, not human morality, 
True godliness and true holiness is, first of all, aware of, is more aware of God than it is of anything else. And God awareness will then allow you to see yourself as you truly are. Remember, I've said it so many times. I give you the formula constantly. When we see God as he truly is, then we can see ourselves as we truly are. True godliness and holiness is a constant awareness of God. And the more you see God, the more you see yourself. And the more you see yourself, you will not see yourself as so godly and great. You're going to see your sinfulness no matter how godly and great you may be living. Because you're comparing yourself to God. See, morality, morality, you will see your good you will see your righteousness and you will be then quick. And you're comparing, you're going to compare everyone else to you. See, I want you to hear this. Godliness and holiness, you are aware, it's a God awareness. So you will look at yourself at to God's standard. So in other words, with godliness and holiness, the first thing you do is you see you in relation to God, which will then break you and make you humble. When you replace godliness with human morality, you become the standard and you look at everyone else in light of you. You look at everyone compared to you. You see everyone going and you say, well, look at them. They're an adulterer. They're an extortioner. I'm not. They don't pray. I do. They don't tithe. I do. They don't read. I do. They don't study. I do. They don't know theology. I do. They don't know church history. I do. See, morality is you become the standard. Godliness and holiness, God is the standard. And, and think of this, godliness and holiness is a God awareness. And the more aware I am of God, then God is the standard. And I see myself in relation to him, which will show me as I truly am, which is a sinner. Then I'll be humble. But we can subtly remove God. We can replace godliness and holiness with just morality. I don't watch those movies. I don't listen to that music. I don't do those things. Look at me. Because you become the standard. So you see everyone else in light of who you are. Godliness and holiness, you see yourself in light of God. Morality, you see everyone in light of you. See, if I if godliness and, and holiness, I will look at other people, but I I'm seeing them and in light of God, but I'm seeing myself in the same light. In other words, no matter, no matter what I see in other people, I can be like, well, I may not commit adultery, but I know what I do because I'm constantly aware of my own sin. In other words, you're, when you see other people in godliness and holiness, you're so aware of your sin that you see everyone else's sin in light of your sin, not in light of your righteousness and godliness. When it's morality, you see everyone else's sin in light of your morality. That's the difference between morality and godliness. We have to have a, a godliness and a holiness that gives us constant God awareness. Then we see ourselves as we are, and we see everyone else in light of God, and we see them in light of our sinfulness, not in light of our morality. We see their sin, and you're like, well, I, I, I'm, I'm right there with you, just in a different way. It's a completely different mindset. A second thing, I think true godliness and true holiness. 
will find their identity. Someone who is who's truly godly and truly holy will find their identity not in morality, not even in practical righteousness. They will find their identity in imputed righteousness. You see, if you start seeing your identity and your practical righteousness, you're going to become spiritually arrogant. But the godly, holy person, if it's true godliness and holiness, then will see themselves and I'm an, I am a sinner with imputed righteousness. You're going to be more aware of imputed righteousness than you are of your practical righteousness. I see, I think, I think we have a godliness and a holiness that's really nothing more than, than human morality. I think sometimes we've reduced Christianity to a, a morality system. It's just moralism. It's not godliness and holiness. Godliness and holiness is a God awareness. And that God awareness will, you will see yourself in light of God and you will see others in light of your own sin. You're going to see your own sin when you see other people. You're not going to see, you're not going to be comparing them to your godliness. You're going to see, I'm with you. I'm just like you. I'm a sinner just like you. And then, and then if it's true God awareness, you're going, your identity is not going to be found in your morality. It's going to be found in the imputed righteousness. And both of those things not only are a sign of true godliness, they lead to spiritual humility and protect you from spiritual pride. Now, I'm going to check to see if anyone has any questions. All right, I'm going to see if anyone has any questions. All right. Okay, all right. Uh, we found out why some people were having uh, technical difficulties because uh, their son was downloading a video game. How, see, how unrighteous is their son for downloading a video game while I was live on the air? Okay, all right. All right, there we go. All right, I'm going to make sure no one else has any comments or questions. Because because I know I'm going after a perspective that maybe many people haven't heard. So I'm just going to give everyone a second. And if no one says anything, we're going to wrap this up. Because it's a very important subject. A very important subject. And we've got to find balance. I know we didn't work out all the details. But um, all right, nobody's asking any questions. So I'm assuming that everyone perfectly understands this. I'll give everyone in the Discord channel a test in about five minutes, and we'll see how well they really grasp these con concepts, but no. All right. You can let me know. Any, any thoughts, any feelings about this? Newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. All right. Thanks for listening. Please give this serious thought and meditation because this is a very serious subject. All right. Everyone have a great day. God bless.